0: Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Dan Nathan Gayadami soon, very soon. Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us off for, I'm sure, a lot of Jet fans. What could have been <laughs> as they emerged victorious yesterday at home against the Texans of Houston? Uh, I'm sure that Jet fans saying, well, if we won this game, you know what? You didn't. So. Too bad. Anyway, how are you Dan
1: Nathan? You know, it's funny you say that, guy. I was uh, getting in from Washington, D.C. in in the New York's Penn Station, um, and I saw a lot of really cold, wet people um, in Jets gear coming back in from, from the game. And I was saying to myself, I didn't even know what the score was. I was like, I feel so sorry for those people. They went all, they jackassed it out to the Meadowlands, right? They got all wet. And they had to see the Jets lose. But then I saw, I looked on the ESPN app and I saw that they won. And I heard Mm -hmm. that uh, your boy, Zach, had a great game. You know, so what could have been this year, guy? What could have been with that defense? Well, unfortunately,
0: we will never know. But what we're going to try to ascertain (laughs) is what could be in terms of the markets. And Carter's going to join us. But we'll look at the rundown because, you know what, that's what we do. I love crystal balls. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about that someday. It it sort of mirrors steel balls in terms of, you know, those types of things. But Wall Street's crystal ball, I'm not going to say the first one, but versus the market. And of course, Carter's
1: going to take a look
0: at some consumer charts. And you might have a trade sort of buried in there someplace as
1: well. I think I think I do. I think I have an options trade. Actually, a really interesting way to play it, and one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about volatility across different risk assets. And you know, when you think about the options market, you think about a thirteen VIX, and you think about really you know ways in which to express views. At least in the stock market or in index ETFs or sector ETFs, they look pretty cheap. Now that can also be a trap sometimes, guy. Mm-hmm. As you. Uh, especially when you see lots of other things moving around pretty aggressively. Uh, sometimes you get just get churned to death, owning premium in the, in the options market as it relates to equities. But I think we got something. I think we got something on Carter's um, XLP consumer staples. So we're going to hit that pretty quickly. Let's think about, uh, you know, I can't wait to hear your story about crystal balls. Um, but this is, you know, the season where all the strategists and we've had plenty of strategists over the last couple of weeks, uh, introducing their targets on the, on the tape podcast we had Lori, um, that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that um, on Friday's drop of on the tape. And we had Mike Wilson from two weeks ago, which was excellent. And they were on different sides of that. But guy, you see all these targets. Mm-hmm. You see that not too many of them are below JP Morgan, Marco Klonovic and, and his crew. And their CEO, they seem to be bearish um, on the economy. They see bearish on the rate environment. They see bearish on the growth environment. But a lot of those other ones up above where this market is trading, and a lot of them up above the Jan 2022 highs, they seem like they're implying a no landing scenario, where it's just off to the races. We are in the next leg of a multi leg bull market, Guy Dami.
0: Sort of appears that way, and yeah, it's it's for me. You know what I take from this is both. J.P. Morgan, Marco Klonovic, who's been on our show dozens of times, fast money that is. We should probably have him on the podcast. You definitely should. You know, he's remain- and by the way, I, th- I know you know this, but it's important. This is not a perma anybody. You know, if he's bullish, he's very outspoken about it. And if he's bearish, he is as well. And he's been on both sides of that equation over the last few years. But he has been over the last, I don't know, six to eight months, I guess, sort of in that camp that things do not things may appear one way through the prism of the S and P, but there's much different picture in terms of what he's seeing. And obviously Morgan Stanley with Mike Wilson, who's dug in his heels. And I think correctly. So we had him on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, he talked about what we're seeing now is typical of what you see late cycle. So I look at that, the flip side of the coin, Ed Yard Denny, who's also does amazing work. I think he's high on the street and obviously Tom Lee's in there as well. So The question is, can they all be right? Can we see a move lower first and then subsequently get to those north of 5,000 levels by the end of 2024? And that's a potential outcome as well. So I don't think anybody thinks there's a straight line, but I think there is some division out there in terms of the analyst community.
1: Yeah, and so it's interesting. We're talking about the S&P 500. We know the top 10 stocks make up 30% of the weight of that. And Guy, you know, as we were preparing for this program, um, we got an email from Doug Casp, our good friend, Beter Bookbar from Bleakley Advisors, was also copied on that. They're looking at some of the same stuff that we're doing in the concentration. Let's throw up the QQQ chart for a second here, though, because um, Bespoke was out this morning on a text. And when you see a day like this, where the S&P guy is up, it was up 50 bips, I think, earlier today. It's up 25 bips today. But look at this. Let's let's flash over to that MAG-7. I know you don't like to say Just so you know, when they were calling it the Magnificent 7, I think on air, on Fast Money, and I give Mel Lee a lot of credit. I think she even said it on the air. I don't like calling that. The assumption that they're all magnificent, you know what I mean? I like that in, in a very you know specific way. She didn't like using that. So I said, let's call them MAG. So we've been calling them MAG-7 since. I think it's caught on a little bit. But you just like, listen, you see that far column, that's the market cap. Why is mm-hmm. that? Well, because it makes 30% of the S&P 500 or so. It makes 50% of the NASDAQ 100. To see all those stocks guy down that much and have the market be able to go higher, what does that speak to? And this is what Doug was hitting us about and Peter or whatever, just passive rotations all alike. I get it. A lot of folks think that's really bullish. They think that's really great. But my comment back to the gents and, and we had a nice conversation back and forth was that if they have a fundamental reason to sell, in the not-so-distant future. Get out of this year-end bullshit. Get out of the rotation. You know what I mean? Like this There's a fundamental reason to sell. Watch out.
0: There's a game of musical. I mean, it's clearly musical chairs. And, you know, we had a similar day, I think, last week, although, yeah, probably the same type of magnitude of the sell-offs of these names. And the S&P was probably, again, where it is now, virtually unchanged or slightly higher. And if you told me last night, you know what, guy? Apple's going to be down two percent ish. Meta, Facebook, all these names anywhere from one and a half to two percent. What do you think about the S and P? You know, given that run up on Friday and all the things, I mean, again, fifty handles lower. I don't think that would have been a ridiculous comment. Yet here we are. I think last I looked, I think we're up up ten handles in the S and P. So yep. I get there's that old thing from the movie Wall Street: enjoy it while it lasts because it never does. And the more I see things like this, and this is not just me being dogmatic, you know, the more mm-hmm. concerned I get because. Yeah. I do think people are not paying attention to some of the things that are
1: really going on out there. Well, it's funny, guy. You left that one word of that quote. I know you're paraphrasing it. It said, enjoy it while it lasts, kid. Mm Because it never does. Right. So you're kind of at that age where you can start calling most people on the street kid. Right. And feel like you have that sort. of... And, you know, this was interesting because, you know, Peter pointed us to a video in that email exchange with with Doug, uh, the collapse of the unipolar world with Felix Zoloff. Okay, not not your boy, Johnny Olaf. Okay, And Mm -hmm. I know that's what really comes. Mind, Johnny Ola, said, Ola, no F at the end of. Oh, uh, sorry, Ola, sorry. I'm sorry, okay. that was such a that was such a rookie move, but I just wanted to do that for a second. But this is from uh, Malden's Economics, we'll put this in the show notes a little bit. And and in and so you said immediately, you said, Oh, Felix, you, you know, ex UBS portfolio, uh, I think strategist, that sort of thing. You said he's a legend, you've known his work. He was talking much like you were just talking in this video, okay, talking about passive investing. So if 30% of the, you know, of the major indices, 30% of the money coming in is going into those regardless of fundamentals, because you're benchmarked mm-hmm. to that sort of thing. Like that is what's going on. He said this one quote, and I'd love to get your take on this guy. Okay. So this is Felix, uh, Felix saying this. When you think of if you were indexing to global equities, 70% is U.S., 70 percent. So if you were sitting over there in Europe or Asia or somewhere in the developed world and you're um, allocating money from that place to the global equity indices, 70 percent of it is going into the U.S. And think of it, 30 percent of that is going into these seven stocks. So does that create some sort of potential passive investing like disaster in the not so distant future if stuff goes haywire?
0: yeah you you know and I know that that's a rhetorical question, but the short oh. answer is yes. And you know, it's fascinating to me that when things are going, you know, it's a crowded short position. You hear that all the yeah. time, crowded short position. but this is clearly a textbook crowded position in a handful to a dozen or so names that people seemingly think it's fine because the fundamentals back it up. I'll say this. The fundamentals of all those companies, generally speaking, some better than others, are very strong. We can back out one or two, but the problem is the market is more than rewarded it, uh, in terms of valuation. Yeah. And you have to be concerned. And something I've said, and we've seen glimpses of it, but when passive trading becomes active, it's never active going higher. It's active because something happened and everybody's trying to run for that exit door. So right now, obviously those have been the beneficiary of this passive investing phenomenon that's going on for the last five, six, seven or so years where news doesn't matter. Money just flows in regardless. But there are some deep-rooted concerns associated with that. It doesn't last forever.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll just say is we have CPI tomorrow morning with the Fed meeting, obviously in the, in the presser, you know, on Wednesday, we get through that. And if the, whatever is perceived to be dovish mm-hmm. and, and yields don't go, in, you know, meaningfully higher, we're at four, two, six or so in the 10 year, then, you know, it is kind of the, from that point on until year end, it's like, have at it people, mark them up, you know, have a ball, right? Like, like that's what they'll likely do. We talked about it this morning with Liz Young on the, on the tape podcast, you know, the S and P, if you look at spy options, they're pricing a 2% move in either direction between now and year end. So if you were bullish and you want to buy an at the money call today, you're risking 1% between now and the end of the year. Vice versa for that of a put. So you know, it looks cheap to express views in the stock market right now and I just want to make one point 2 2 weeks ago in this program I put on a uh, SPY January Put spread when the SPY was 456 uh, and a half. And here we are, you see the levels here were, you know, at least 1% higher. So the SPY is, you know, 46, four, 461 right now. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping a very close eye. I use a 50% mental stop, premium stop. You know, when I'm doing long premium direction, directional, and we're almost there. So with all that said, you know. Where it looks like we're about to break out, we get through CPI, we get through the Fed guy. It could be, you know, a straight shot over the next few weeks to that forty-eight hundred, that prior high. But I'm not buying them there. All right, let's 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 let. It'd be great to get Carter's take on this. That would be Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. Carter, everything we just said there. How are you, bud?
2: Good. I'm good. You guys, nice weekend.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. What what do you you make of that whole passive setup where we know that 30%, you know, of the S&P is seven stocks and 70% of global indexing is going to the U.S.? Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Well, um, I remember, you know, there's the markets are always concentrated. I mean, this is the nature of. And business is always contrary. People always come into town with the better mousetrap and move out the little hardware store because the new thing comes in. And life has a way of sorting out the winners and losers, as we've all learned, those of us who weren't admitted to Harvard, for instance, <laughs> or what 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 you what you will. The point is you remember getting picked and then at some point you you know you don't play professional football. I played through high school. But the point is. You know, life sorts out winners and losers. The markets are always concentrated. In fact, the numbers are these. Over the past 50 years, the top 10 stocks on average are a 20% weight. But right now, of course, the top 10 are 30. And that's the issue. Um, But these top 10 are are unique in the sense they're delivering much of the profit. So the question is, ultimately, um, does that have to get right-sized? It is important to note that the equal weight S&P from the lows of October 27th has outperformed the actual S&P. So you had you have had breath to some extent as to the, running it into year end. You know, there's something called painting the tape. Um, if you are a big AUM holder, a big brand name, a big mutual fund, and you're running a trillion it doesn't behoove you to sell in the sense that you get paid as a percentage of AUM and how it closes at the end of the year makes a big difference, your fees and so forth. But I don't think it's quite that mechanical. I don't think people think along those lines because at the end of the day, they are fiduciary stewards and they do have to run the money as they see um, you know, as they see fit, not for playing chess and so forth. That being said, th- there's nothing to stop a run. You can always get it into year end. We know December is seasonally strong. We shall see. Um, what's really more... Uh, not to say interesting, but more sort of um, relevant is what happens Jan 1, right? Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of Januarys where they come in and they dump it hard where people, they have held on. I want it to not have profits in this year for obviously kick the tax liability down the road. Do you get that or do you just get, and it is often the case too, a January run? But I don't suspect January is going to be quiet.
0: It's interesting, you know, by the way, we just had a 10-year auction. I don't want to get too technical here, but you know, 447 was expected, I think 449, so it wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as feared, and I think that's one of the reasons the S&P, you know, probably rallied 8 to 10 handles. or so just for those playing our home game, and if I had to guess, the TLT's probably bounced a little bit as well. With that said, Carter, you know, of course, It's now the magnitude of these companies, the size in which they've grown to, that has to be, you know, again, has to be somewhat concerning. You're right. We've seen this historically, but not nearly to the magnitude now where, you know, these companies have become effectively, you put them together, they're their own asset class. I mean, in in some regards, you know, they would be the biggest, probably the seventh or eighth biggest economy Mm -hmm. in the world if you looked at it just in terms of market cap
2: uh indeed and and you know there are people that they there are cycles long cycles um and that what will happen eventually is and we haven't had this since teddy roosevelt right you haven't had real breaking up of of what is known as monopolies or duopolies you know that's not my i have no dog in that fight i don't know anything about how that looks but look they have big lobbyists and they try to obviously stop anything like that but no one knows where that goes. That's the kind of thing that does happen. Um, maybe that's what's around the corner.
1: You know, Carter, we get you know blamed all the time. Not, not when I say we, I mean Guy and myself for, you know, when we're really bearish, we can't find anything to buy and that sort of thing. I don't think that's exactly the case because I think on Market Call, on a couple of occasions in October, we de- detailed some some kind of like... Going the other way. And and maybe sometimes people look at contrarian. They say, Well, you're just being contrarian for the sake of it. You know, we have Mm -hmm. a market that was careening lower and I wanted to buy something. Well, I did get bullish. I mean, I like consumer staples down there. Okay. So if staples were selling off because yields were going higher, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, the inverse should be correct, right? On the flip side, the same thing with utilities, you know? And at the time, you know, I took a crack on on calls, call spreads, looking out a couple months. Let's talk about staples. That's what you want to talk about here. The, the, the utilities look very similar for the most part, right? Like the, the way in which they kind of fell off a cliff in, in September and- Yeah, I mean, everything, you
2: know, they, right? Everything dropped, I mean, Apple, even more than the market, yeah. right? Everything has this September 20, uh, excuse me, July 27th peak, October 27th. Yeah. And everything is rallied. Um, but things that were strong have rallied to yet new highs, right, above the levels from which they sold off. Whereas staples um, are, uh, staples actually made new lows, went below their October lows of uh, a year ago, the market lows, and then have recovered. And um, it's a, it's always a, quote, expensive area of the market with low growth. Um, it's a safe haven. We know this. That's what they, uh, that's what their traditional. And remember, healthcare didn't exist 150 years. That was bite on the stick while we saw your leg off in the middle of the Civil War. There was no medicine. There were snake oil salesmen. The truly defensive thing is that, that it's I learned that phrase from my teacher mentor, soap and cereal. We have biscuit companies and soup companies that are almost 200 and 300 years old. This is the ultimate defense, um, more so than healthcare. But the group, and we can look at some charts now, if you want, the group has had a big move. Uh, that's a 10% move. And if you see that, and now, I want could say, you made those lines, first of all, I didn't make them, they kind of fit that way, but my eye sees a break here, a give back. Now, if we look at that same drawing, this is this, the XLP, um, look at it over. And the key here is we know that all stocks made a low a year ago, at plus in October. But think of the stock markets well off that October lows, and the staples went down and breached that low. Uh, let's do another iteration. Look how well-defined these mm-hmm. tops are. You could put another one in there. The point is, with the exception of that spurt to slight new high. In in March of 22, uh, we've basically been capped. Let's pull it back a little further. Uh, let's pull it back a little further. Let's put in 150 moving average. I mean, this has all the elements of a gradual stall, a bullish to bearish reversal. Uh, another iteration uh, would be this: just a big old topping out, stalling, struggling. And then, uh, where to put a line in? I think we can go back to those lows. Another line. Uh, We can consider that. But here's the thing that really is interesting. On this rally, and it's a substantial rally, what is the relative performance? Take a look. We're about to crack to new lows. In fact, we Mm -hmm. did put a line in here. We broke to new 52-week relative. So despite that effort, that huge move on the part of Staples, we're still... Underperforming, and not only is that a, a, a now a two-year relative low, it is a five-year relative low. In fact, last chart, it is a 23-year relative low. Now, one might expect that, of course, because Staples will underperform a market if the market's at near all-time highs. But um, this is this is not interesting. I would say that it's an an area to be easily underweight would be my judgment.
0: Yeah, there's something to be concerned about here. And I think when you see it relative to the SPY, it becomes a lot clearer. Because if you go back to the original chart, you'd be like, okay, we got a nice bounce here. Maybe they're sort of gaining momentum. But the reality is, that's all it is, Dan, is really a bounce. And in terms of the XLP, I think it's 12% or so Costco, another 9% Pepsi, and probably Walmart, about the same 9%. So You effectively know the stocks that comprise this. And with Costco pushing towards or making an all-time high, it's probably easy to see why we're seeing this bounce. However... One has to ask themselves, you know, is this going to be short-lived and is it just on the back of a broader market? And I think you have a trade that sort of lines up exactly that way.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, the largest holding is Procter & Gamble at 14%. I think it's interesting that you bring up Costco guy as the number two holding at 11 or 12% because, again, they're going to report earnings after the close on Thursday afternoon. And it is today. It broke out to a new all-time high You know, look at that thing. And so I know, Carter, you're going to take a look at that in a second. I think actually playing the XLP, you know, as a fade of, of Costco makes a lot of sense. And especially because, Carter, I'm sure you would say that the Procter and a lot of those other really core consumer staples charts look very similar to that of the XLP, despite the fact that Costco is the number two holding. So I immediately want to go look at the options market. I want to look at implied volatility in the XLP ETF. Now, ETFs, um, you know, sector ETFs will always have smaller readings or lower readings involved than individual securities. So, you know, you don't want to get too caught up in that. But I look at it and I say to myself, they look dollar cheap and they look vol cheap. I'm going to look at January expiration. I want to look basically lower, as Carter detailed in his charts and his guy just kind of discussed with some of the components. And I want to define my risk. So today, when the XLP was trading around 70, 65, I could look at January expiration and I could buy one of the January 70 puts at about 75 cents. It's about one percent, people of the underlying ETF price. I have a little more than a month for that to uh, to k- kind of play out here. My break even is down at sixty nine and a quarter. That's down about two percent. So I kind of really like the risk reward of this trade idea. I think it lines up pretty well with Carter's charts. Um, if you're looking for a play back towards that uptrend that's been in place for a couple of years, and really, you know, again, you know, I'm gonna use a mental stop about fifty percent of the premium. So if for any reason and you know the ETF just goes sideways or it starts to work a little bit higher. If this thing gets to about 35, 40 cents, I'm going to cut the losses here um, and move on. But I just think a lot of things are lining up right now, especially with maybe what's going on with yields. If yields were to kind of work their way back towards four and a half in the 10 year, I think you're going to see folks who bought the XLP or bought some of these consumer, uh, consumer staples. I think they're going to move out of them over the next few weeks. And then the last point I'll just make is that if Costco, which is up on this massive rip for any reason disappoints, you know what I mean? And there's a whole host of reasons why investors might look to exit that trade here. Um, I think that'll benefit the XLP too. Guy, thoughts.
0: Yeah, quickly before Carter jumps in, I'm sorry to mention Proctor, but yes, that's obviously the largest component. But pull up a Procter and Gamble chart if we could, yeah. Jacob or Stephen, over the last three or four years, and you'll see that this is a stock that made its all-time high, I want to say December of 2021 or January of 2022, like many stocks, by the way. But since then, it's been sideways. And you have these series of sort of highs here. Now, Carter might say a pair of twos, but we're right at the moving average. I don't think it's traded particularly well on a broader market that clearly has. So if you were to get that sort of blow off top in Costco, which is possible, and this continued what I think to be rollover Carter in Procter & Gamble, I think this this trade works very well.
2: Yeah, the big heavy ones with the exception of Costco uh, are, are, well, just that they're heavy and they act poorly. Uh, one thing to point out, I mean, the sector overall has 38 stocks in it, right? And the total market cap is 2.78 trillion, exactly the same as Microsoft, literally. Um, and the of course, the only other interesting thing is Walmart's the biggest by market cap by far, uh, meaningfully bigger than Procter. But its weight is only uh, 9% versus Procter 14 for the obvious reason, because Almost forty-five percent of the flow is controlled by the Walton, so it doesn't it doesn't get the same yeah. weighting in in the ETF. Um, but uh, yeah, let's look at the breakout. You know, in a traditional sense, if we we might have a chart here, uh, one would consider this a sort of a break a breakaway gap. Um, there are, there are continuation gaps, there are exhaustion gaps. There are quite a few uh, ways to interpret, but this is a long term chart, and it's an important move above a former high. But if we look at the here and now chart, instead of this longer term weekly chart, look at the daily. The question is, um, does it really take off here and not look back? Or quite often you get a breakout and then you check back to the level from which you broke out and you fill the gap. And that's my hunch. I would also point out, and you could probably look this up, uh, you guys there, that, that the analysts, I mean, Costco is a love stock. They're, they're basically, they have a price target. You're talking about some 50, 60 analysts. Their 12-month price target on Wall Street is below where the stock is trading. So you have a lot of very smart people with MBAs and CFAs who study Kroger's and Costco and consumer uh, d- income trend, disposable income, and, and a- a- after average hourly earnings. And they can study inflation. and They study the cost of flour, et cetera, and labor. And collectively, this group of 45 men and women believe that Costco is worth $609, 12 months hence. The stock is trading at $624. Uh, This is ever thus. It's a very hard game. Um, But uh, by all accounts, uh, I don't think you chase this breakout. I think you fade it.
1: So Carter, real quickly, you have one more chart. You have this trend channel um, that shows it from you know earlier this yeah. year. All right. So how, look, just for our, our our viewer here, so let's toggle back and forth between these two, right? So if you were like had a bullish mindset, all right, let's stay here for one second. Let's say the breakout one, right? And if you looked at that prior high and you looked at the sell off that we had, like you know, in 2022, off of that then all time high, you look at the level where we are. Let's go back right there. You say to yourself. Mm-hmm. Listen, man, that is epic, right? It took this long time to kind of, after that steep decline, to grind back there, make a series of, of higher highs. And now we're above that. It's establishing a new range. Now let's go to the other one here, right? And if I look at this and I say everything that we just had to say, if I said, this is a company that is expected to grow, let's say earnings like high single digits, sales mid single digits, trades at 40 times okay double the mm-hmm. multiple of walmart all right like you said and i'd say i look at that channel and i said they have an earnings event coming up and we know that you know yeah they got a few percent of their you know revenue is recurring in that membership fees and the like and maybe they're benefiting a little bit from inflation coming in or i don't know whatever stupid like fundamental narrative that you want to come up with but then i look at that chart and i say to myself that's really extended how do you it's both weigh- i mean that's how- the
2: that's just the thing right yeah. um to your point about it is trading at 42 times is at or near a record, uh, yeah. it's given a major premium in terms of the multiple because of, it's almost like a SAS multiple, right? Yeah. It's that recurring uh, membership fee. Uh, uh, but what do we, is the gap, think about the gap, the gap is news related, there's an upgrade today, as if I'm not mistaken. And so then you're saying we have earnings, I wasn't aware, but that's coming up in the next couple of days. Thursday. So the question is, can you follow on from that? Or has this cannibalized the prospective gains associated with a good earnings report? Um, Put it this way. Let's say it gaps again on a good earnings report. Then not only would I fade it, I'd just go outright max short.
0: Yeah. These are not cheap stocks, though. I mean, historically, they've been expensive, but they're even rich to their historical selves. Mm -hmm. And you you throw Procter & Gamble in that mix. It's never been a cheap stock. And you're talking about a stock with not great earnings growth and not great revenue growth and not an indictment. I mean, that's just the reality around the company historically. Yet it's being rewarded because maybe there is this visibility, but you know, at a certain point, they don't deserve. I don't think the valuations that the market are bestowing upon them, and that goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier. So, yeah. I look at this. I like Dan's trade. You know, I see the underlying components. I, you obviously know my view on the broader market, and, and I'm hard pressed to believe that this, the move in a Costco, can continue this magnitude.
1: All right. Carter Braxtonworth, we appreciate you doing some serious work on the staples in Costco. We appreciate it. We'll see you back here later this week. Hey, listen. Carter, you're doing great work. That factor report that you put out, so you're doing this new series and it's not just you focused on, let, let's say an individual name or a sector. It's it's on a bunch of different factors that a lot of investors use for investing. And you guys are doing some deep, deep work, some great uh, work there. So check mm-hmm. that out. This one was on revenue growth um, and you gave a whole host of charts, a, a bunch of ideas there. So worthcharting.com, check it out, Carter. Thanks for being here, man. We really appreciate it. All right, bud. Um, Guy, before we get out of here, let's hit a couple of things that are kind of catching my eyes. Like you know, you said this when we started out by talking about just this kind of the Mag Seven and the way they're trading versus the rest of the market. We had two days like this last week, you know, mm-hmm. where they were all down across the board. I mean, this is the biggest down day I think for most of them on average. But we're seeing a lot of other things go on. Like, let's just pull up Macy's for a second here because this is obviously idiosyncratic. Okay, so an investor group making a bid for the thing or whatever. But there's lots of stuff like this kind of going on in the stock market, it feels like a little bit like silly season in a way. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we could have faded that Macy's on fundamentals, no shortage of times as this stock has doubled over the last month and a half or so.
0: And that's been the right thing to do. I mean, we can even take a longer term chart and seemingly for the last four or five years, every rally to a moving average or this magnitude prior to this news has been a fade until obviously you get something like this. So the short interest probably is apparent. Uh, people getting smoked. I get it. But Macy's, to your point, is Macy's specific and very idiosyncratic. I don't think it speaks to anything but the perceived opportunity and uh, taking Macy's private, whatever alchemy they'll do to it, then spinning it out in a different way, number one. But, you know, I think your point is well taken. And, you know, we're at the time of year where you start to see some sort of, I guess, interesting stuff. But and I don't think you're attempting to do this. Neither am I. But if you're trying to equate this revival of MA and renewed animal yeah. spirits on the back of Macy's alone. I think that's a bit of a stretch and, but maybe that's what the market. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. you are at all. Yeah.
1: No, I just, I, I think it's kind of silly season. Here's another one. Let's pull up Snap for a second. And this is a stock that we've talked about a bunch over the last, you know, few months or so. I mean, the fundamentals are not particularly great. Um, you know, it's a volatile digital ad environment. Um, but look at this thing. It's up nearly 100%. Mm-hmm. It's had a bunch of upgrades. You can see the, you know, the gaps. I think they usually have to do with that. And you know, that's fine and good. I always find it really interesting that, you know, I, again, I think, you know, a lot of these fundamental analysts, they have very hard jobs. Right. But like when you see a lot of them chasing momentum like this in names that have really underperformed, let's pull up a five-year chart of snap. And, and, you know, you look at that on a one-year basis, you're like, wow, that's, that's magnificent. That should be in the magnificent eight, despite the fact it's got a tiny, you know, enterprise value. Um, Look at that. I mean, it's just literally coming off the mat. So, if there was any real fundamental reason to buy this stock and, and it could grow into a valuation, you could double again from here. I'm not saying to chase it here by any means, you know, um, but I just think, again, a little bit of silly season. Last thing I want to hit you on, I want to get your take on this. Um, Eli Lilly. Okay. So, they have benefited this year. I think the stock, you know, was trading what I'm looking at my fact set machine, maybe 315 guy yeah. um, in March. Okay. It topped popped out at you know 6:30 or something like that so it was up 100% at its highs now it's been grinding a little bit here it's sitting right on that uptrend you see that 200 day moving average all the way down at 520 trades very expensive for a pharma company, but they have been obviously at the forefront of this GLP one revolution. A lot of investors think that this is something that is going to continue to be a massive, massive mega trend. Them and Novo Nordisk could make the other two of these that are on the market right now for obesity and for uh, pre-diabetic stuff. They had a trillion dollars in combined market cap. Okay. So that all happened. The doubling of that over the course of this year is the stock today acting this way. I'm sure we could, Find a couple headlines. Would you lump this into the Mag7 mega trend sort of thing? You know, AI is driving tech stocks. This has got its own theme. Are we seeing rotation here similarly the way we're seeing it in tech?
0: Yeah, there was a headline that came out about, I guess, uh, you know, and we can probably put it in the show notes, but when people get off the drug, you know, the the propensity to put the weight back on, maybe that scared some people. Valuation has been a bit of concern, but you know, in the absence of bad news, nobody cares about valuation. And then you get a headline that scares people. And the first thing they'll say is, well, it's expensive. So first ask questions later. In terms of Eli Lilly, can you lump them in? I think it's a very similar dynamic going on. Although I will say this, you know, there are fundamental reasons around Eli Lilly that probably mirror that of NVIDIA and stuff that yeah. you can understand why people are pouring in. The problem, of course, becomes valuation. I'll say this as well. You've seen a number of sell offs in Eli Lilly, not only this year, but over the last couple of years, not only of this magnitude, but larger. So there's a very good chance that in, you know, if you get another headline that scares people, not only you trade through this uptrend line, you probably trade to the moving average. But as I've said countless times, you're looking for opportunities to get into Lilly, not to get out of Eli Lilly.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that headline. You know, if you were prescribed these drugs, they basically are telling you once you come off of over a period of time, you will gain back a third to half the weight that you lost. So they know that. That's actually good for the drug companies. It keeps you on the drugs, like it keeps you on a statin or something like that, right? So again, I think it's kind of interesting. I don't think they're marketed as this kind of wonder drug that you just take for a period of time, lose 15 or 20% of your, your, your body weight, and then it stays off. So it's interesting sometimes what investors use as an excuse to kind of hit the sell button. You know, like when you have gains like this in an individual name or so, you know, the, it gets harder and harder, right? Mm-hmm. The longer you own it for that story to stick with that story. And sometimes, you know, you you know what I'm talking about. Um, anything else, Guy, on your mind? Oh, Bitcoin. No, I, Look, quickly. You see this Bitcoin down 8 Well, last
0: night about, I think it was nine o'clock at night or something. You had this huge move. I think it traded down like $1,500. I don't know what that was on the back of. But I got to believe, Dan, it ha- might be something China related because, you know, we'll probably get into it tomorrow. But yeah. before our very eyes, I mean, things have definitely been going. Listen, we've known things have been going poorly there, but it's been sort of this slow motion thing and things seemingly are getting accelerated. So I don't know this. I'm trying to come to a conclusion or you know get an answer based on what we're seeing in Bitcoin. But
1: I got to believe this is somehow China related. Well, you use that term blow off top. I mean, if that was ever what and what, what do you say what what kind of star would that make guy if we were right, you know what? Cap? I mean,
0: potentially, I mean, you could have one of these doji star formations and that again seemingly happened. I mentioned this because it happened out of nowhere and yeah. it happened in Bitcoin, which by the way, in terms of market cap now is that whole crypto world is significant once again at 42,000. So, you have to take notice. You can't just sort of brush it under the rug and say, "Well, it's Bitcoin, it's not a big deal." it's an it's its own asset class so when you see moves of that magnitude I think you have to sort of take and take some notice at least.
1: Yeah, and for the most part, when there's not something going on in the space, fraud or you know, like the, those sorts of headlines, I mean, it is usually trading for macro reasons related to what the dollar is doing, what other currencies are doing, and the like. So, again, you know, we'll hit that probably in more detail um, tomorrow. Okay, guy, we covered a lot of ground. I, I we like did. that we, we did the staples. We we went deep in the staples.
0: We did. I think that's an. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, the Costco move. Yep. Uh, if Procter and Gamble does in fact roll over. Uh, Some of the weakness we've seen in some of those other names, you know, that's a trade that could work out really well. But I'm glad you highlighted it. But we did talk about a lot of stuff. Got giant football tonight. The Packers of Green Bay will be invading uh, the Meadowlands on what was a dreary day, but maybe it's drying out a little bit. But we'll be back tomorrow. I want to thank obviously Carter Braxton Worth, backset, and the audience for always being with us, Dan Nathan.
1: Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.